0: Welcome to the Universe in a Glass, the podcast where we trade drinks with friends and share the stories behind our favorite beverages. As always, we are joining you from the historic Line Hotel in the heart of Adams Morgan. We are thrilled to be joined today by none other than Alexis Percival, New York sommelier and partner at the East Village Institution, Ruffian, and the late great Adriatic restaurant, Kindred. Alexis caught the wine bug in France after graduating from the University of Rhode Island with a degree in French arts. After relocating to the city, she went from gallery manager to bartender to certified wine professional. She joined Ruffian upon its launch in 2016 and has since become a powerful advocate for local female sommeliers, launching a female-led tasting group uh, profile in the New York Times. Thank you for joining us, Alexis.
1: Thank you for having me yeah, that honored was a to have you lovely introduction
0: oh thank thank you I, t- I tried <laughs> I, uh, I did a little research for the sake um, uh, I'd like the I mean I'm a sucker for the art school turned sommelier trajectory
1: uh, yeah actually I have a BFA in um, in art in studio art and then I had a French degree because I had always studied art uh, excuse me French through high school and then I just continued in college and then suddenly it was like oh I only need a couple more credits. Uh, to get a French degree, so I just went for it. And then I moved to France after I graduated because I felt like an imposter. Uh, I felt like I could write papers in French, but I couldn't actually live, speak, um, function. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll just dive in and go do that.
0: Nice. Uh, You were in the South, right?
1: Yeah, I was in Marseille for a year.
0: Oh, that's awesome. How was it?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, It was great. Uh, It, though though I loved it. um, When you live somewhere, it's a lot more real. You know, you're trying to figure out how to pay your phone bill and the same things that we have to do.
0: Um, It's like the David Foster Wallace water problem. You know, you just have to slog through things in a way that you don't (laughs) if you're visiting.
1: Exactly. People are like, it must be so amazing. And I was like, yes, but it's still life. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I was working and teaching and things like that. Yeah. So
0: so it it wasn't like a 10 episode Netflix arc. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe in the future we'll remake it as one. Um, at any rate, uh, the premise uh, for the sake of our pod is simple uh, for those of you listening for the first time. Uh, we each have a bottle to share with each other, and uh, this time out um, we're going high ABV, uh, which is uh, you know just a wise choice at uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Alexis has brought along uh, an artisanal uh, mezcal uh, for us to try. Um, from uh, the kind of function as a negotiated independent bottler, uh, Cinco Sentidos, uh, and she's brought a very special bottle um, called Pechuga de Mole Poblano. Uh, I've followed suit with another unicorn spirit. Mine is Haitian, and it's called Claren. Um And uh, it uh, is the work of a different kind of independent bottler named Vellier, uh, but a local uh, artisanal distiller uh, hails from artisanal sugar crane in uh, Haiti's northern highlands. Uh, we will taste through both and a, a portion of both bottles, and uh, <laughs> we will uh, you know, talk about them uh, while we're thinking about uh, life and wine and other things we hold dear, and I will close things out with a bit of verse dedicated to Alexis. Uh, if you like the sound of what we're drinking, uh, both of, I, I'd normally say that both of these things are available um, across the street at uh, Washington's premier uh, wine and pasta bar, uh, revelers hour, but in this case, um, I don't know that I'll be able to sort these individual <laughs> bottles. Yeah. Uh, that You're talking you know, hundreds of individual bottles uh, made for the sake of this run, but uh, we will try to find things like them uh, to satisfy uh, the interest of those of you listening, and, and they certainly, well, we're trying. Um, at any rate, before we... Get things started and talk about the spirits themselves. Uh, we talked briefly about, you know, your uh, journey from um, aspiring native French speaker um, uh, to, you know, kind of sommelier. But, you know, backing it up a bit, uh, did you grow up in a food and wine loving household? Do You have distinct memories as a kid of, you know, being passed a, a glass of wine or mezcal. A
1: hundred percent, no, no. Um- <laughs> Uh, no, I grew up in Rhode Island. Um I've lived in New York since oh5 mm, or oh yeah. six. So I mean mom- that's long
0: enough to consider yourself a, a native at that point. Yeah.
1: Um my mother remembers what year I moved, I don't. Um and yeah, there was a big gap from living in France, moving back to Rhode Island for a year, and then moving to New York, and then what transpired from oh, okay. in New York to um, restaurants. Um, was that
0: like Alexis finding herself? or?
1: Uh, yeah, a bit. You know, I had this French uh, art degree, and what the hell do you do with that? And um, it turns out a lot of f- fine artists become uh, framers, picture framers, oh, because cool. we usually have to frame our own art, and we tend to be there hands-on. There weren't like hedge
0: funds making you, you know, no. six-figure offers. No, no,
1: no, definitely not. Um, so, yeah, you kind of spin out, and say, you know, what do I do? I want to do art, but I have to support myself somehow. Um, at the same time um, that I was working in this gallery in Framer, um, I was hostessing uh, in Midtown, and I loved it. I absolutely loved being in restaurants. And my aunt, I swear this ties back, uh, my aunt had managed and owned bars in Providence. Oh, cool. And um, Providence has a fun food scene. Yeah, Providence has a very serious food scene. Um, so I was just in love with uh, restaurants and bars and being there when they're closed, you know? Oh yeah, and, and, and it's having, like looking behind the curtain. It's like being in, in the same way that I love theater when it's yeah. dark yeah, and yeah. About everything that happens backstage. I just really enjoy all the things that make the show happen once service starts or yeah. once the curtain gets pulled. And um, so I, I don't think that in my my home with my parents, it's not like they were wine drinkers, but I really knew that I loved restaurants and yeah.
0: hospitality. Um, do you but, have like a first memory of a bottle of wine that kind of uh, you mean, know, kind of flipped a switch uh, for you, or
1: yes, but that wasn't until my twenties. I mean, as a kid, I remember you know my parents had like Bartles and James, just like acts
0: of desperation.
1: My mom's drink was is was Galliano and cranberry.
0: How oh, fascinating! So what I can, do you call that?
1: I haven't the foggiest <laughs> idea, but I can conjure that flavor in my like sense memory. Um, so.
0: uh, is that is that uh, nostalgic or <laughs> is that? All,
1: I mean, it's humorously nostalgic. Yeah, okay, um, okay, that was more like uh, moosehead beer and okay. that kind of thing. Because
0: um, you're sufficiently close to Canada at that point. That, uh... <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, my dad owned a, this is so wacky too, if you're in business like you are in restaurants and uh, dealing with the liquor authority in Rhode Island, my father owned, my dad's a pharmacist and he owned a, a pharmacy that was also a convenience store, but also had a full liquor license for wow. off premise. So you could go buy your milk, buy a handle of vodka and get your prescription.
0: <laughs> and, yes, some painkillers to go along with Which it all. Which is just
1: mind <laughs> blowing awesome. to me. Yeah. Um, I
0: don't that sounds there. like a fun little Saturday night.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, I think more as we've gotten like it turns out. when so my brother, who was a very very picky eater, now is also um, he's a cook and.
0: Uh, so you both landed in the restaurant. Yeah,
1: game. we both landed oh, in world. restaurants, which is which is funny. And I think my parents have evolved with us actually. Yeah, so, I find I, I find
0: that with my folks too. Yeah. it's like uh, you know sometimes you know through you know, requests, but more often than not, through osmosis, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you'll just like go home and you're like, oh shit, you're buying vermouth now, <laughs> yeah, Exactly, or you're buying
1: mescaline greens, <laughs> yeah, when yeah, we used yeah, to, yeah. Eat, to eat like, uh, uh, what's that called, iceberg lettuce. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I didn't grow up with it, I think my, my brother and I were kind of both self-taught, but I will say this, I remember my mother very distinctly being like, you're going to learn how to eat properly, You know, you're never going to have a door shut in your face because you don't know how to to hold yourself or hold your fork. Uh, You need to be able to be mobile in society and class doesn't have anything to do with money. And um, that has served me well. I feel comfortable going places and dining or drinking and, um, you know, having manners is important. It gets you places.
0: Yeah, I think think having manners, but equally, you know, valuing food, you know, valuing that. You know kind of time and space and and that you know uh, i don't know sensory experience you know in, in and of it in and of itself
1: or uh, how about um, you'll have your no thank you helping it is not acceptable to oh, say that yeah. something was gross or disgusting yeah. you'll try it and you will yeah. shut up
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no that's like the green angies and hamsters like scenario yeah. yeah um i think i think those are important lessons i, I worry that. I get very Andy Rooney about it all, and I worry that <laughs> kids these days aren't learning that that lesson. But I I, I think that's a that's a hugely important lesson. It's um, you know, uh, food is so much about um, you know hospitality and this act of giving, and you know, being a kind of responsible you know recipient of the gift is as important as the giving as the giving of it. Um, at any rate, uh, so you. Find yourself back in the city, yep. and um, you know you love the restaurant, you know kind of scene. Um, what what kind of flips a switch for you? What's a catalyst, you know, into wine as the thing you wanted to devote yourself to? Um,
1: well, I was with someone at the time who was a beverage director, and um, so I was in proximity for a, a number of years and uh there was a certain amount of osmosis that was happening there um where uh we would teach classes together we would do events together oh, i awesome. love to cook so i would cater the events and then we would have the wines that paired we just do this for fun for friends and over a number of years um and you know i was doing my artwork and and things like that but Oh
0: cool I, what is your what is your medium um
1: a lot of mixed media but uh photography and sculpture based oh, cool. work so um, I found myself like, okay, I, I need a job
0: <laughs> yeah. and, I,
1: and I thought, I might know something about wine at this point. And so I got a job at Leela Bar as a bartender where I worked for five and a half years and it was just like everything fell into place. I mean, mind you, at this point, I'm in my early 30s, so I'm not, this is like my first real like uh, service-facing job yeah. say, or customer-facing job, really. And um, everyone was like, I can't believe you didn't do this sooner. You, know, you just I, fell into it Yeah and I just really loved it. I love talking to people yeah. I like helping them have a good time and trying different wines and um, I, I consider myself a host first and so I, I like that part of it helping people enjoy their time.
0: I, th- I think you know the, the best service professionals are you know they're just kind of welcoming first and foremost and then you know whether it's food or wine you know that is the means through which you know, they, you know, are hospitable.
1: Yeah, and it's not about me to, um, I think that sometimes where people stumble is that it becomes so much about them and trying to force it upon their guests, not realizing that that might not be the experience the guest is looking to have. Yeah. Um, and sometimes because I think something's delicious doesn't mean that it is (laughs) to someone else. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: so hugely subjective. Mm Um, were you just kind of omniverse and drinking anything and everything that came your way, or did you kind of methodically tackle different corners of the wine world well, as you learned?
1: it was pretty lucky. Lila Bar um, was and still is a really eclectic list, um, fairly traditional, but from wine from everywhere. So we were constantly, a lot of wines by the glass. We could. We also did a, a cool thing where you would, if you would buy two glasses from a bottle, we'd open anything. Oh, awesome. So. Um, so you got to if you work there for long enough, you really get to know the, the bottle list really well because at one point or another, something was served to BTG. So um, it was a great way to cover a lot of ground. Um, and uh, the owner is also very generous. He would pay for um, if you wanted to do your WSET. Uh, so I did that while I was there as well.
0: You strike me as a good student. <laughs>
1: I have a- bit of a nerd.
0: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there are different kinds of nerd. I was a nerd too, but I was a nerd and a bad student as opposed <laughs> to uh, uh, an effective one.
1: Yeah, um, I, I enjoyed it. It filled in a lot of blanks. It made things make sense. So certain ones I was already working with or would know well, it would give me all, you know the background and the basis. It was a good classic kind of training. Yeah. Uh, um, and then, so simultaneously, uh, I met Patrick Corneau, who was uh, brought in as the manager, and... But he had already been devising this scheme to open Ruffian, and um, he said, "I've told this story before, but he said it's so not cool in restaurants to poach people. But you're, I would like to poach you. Will you come and be oh, like it. my my second? Yeah, yeah. Because you know we had our two chefs, and he's like, 'You know, be me and you on wine. I need somebody there when I'm not there, and to you know build this list with me.'" And he said, I, and I want to be partners because I said, I, there's very little incentive to make a lateral move. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's how that all went awesome. down. And uh, for a time, I, I was working at both places. So it was really, it was a very busy time, but it was great because I was just doing just really, t- just. All wine, all the time. In it, yeah, 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 and and building a restaurant, which is yeah,
0: and I feel like uh, you know growth, you know, personal growth, and, and otherwise is not linear. So I feel like you know you strike upon these moments where you're just soaking up everything all at once, yep. and you know it's like a personal phase shift for the sake of you know your professional and and wine education.
1: Yeah, and I I, I said imposter syndrome earlier about about uh, speaking French, but I, I felt the same way about wine. Is yeah. um, I've really. For years, had a, a big chip on my shoulder about it, and not, you know, needing to prove myself, and um, totally intimidated by. I mean, that's where my wine tasting group was born out of—was just being totally intimidated by the classic tasting groups. Yeah. Um, you know, cut to now where I'm like, oh, I actually think I know this stuff now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and- you're, you're in kind of like a postgraduate moment where you can start to <laughs> kind of like pick it apart with full confidence that you know you are well grounded.
1: And yeah, but you never you also realize like um, I've never been afraid to say I don't know or let's look it up together or I forgot I learned this yeah. at some point but I haven't worked with it and
0: Yeah. And I, I think while. tasting with people that you know are similarly you know in on the journey that are in on the along of it all and you know mm-hmm. don't recognize a particular destination. You My know
1: favorite wine professionals are the ones um, who don't have anything to prove, and they're just endlessly curious. Yeah. And um, it's it's funny the people at the top of the game are tend to be like that and very humble. And it's it's the people with the Dunning Kruger at the earlier parts of their career that are really trying to yeah, yeah. flex. But yeah. I would be lying if I'd said I didn't. I wasn't like that at one point. Oh, totally.
0: Yeah. You know? I mean, we're all insufferable at some point.
1: Oh. Yes, I'm waiting for that phase to end.
0: <laughs> um, at any rate, um, I'm glad my hopefully my sister listens to this, and you know she can speak <laughs> of the fact that I still haven't grown out of mine. But uh, at any rate, um, uh, we are not drinking uh, wine today, which I think is super cool. We're drinking um, spirit uh, that you know expresses place in a different kind of way, and, and um, you know we, um, as wine professionals, I, I think you know as you. Um, you know fall in love with wine in a particular way for a particular period of time you know the the great hook for most people is wine as place this notion that you know wine carries with it you know um, local history you know um, you know hundreds of years of you know local agricultural um, uh, culinary traditions but equally you know this imprint for the sake of all the natural conditions uh, that come together that to produce this thing uh, but wine is not the only thing not the only beverage certainly uh, that does it and um, we're appreciating uh, two different spirits that each do that in their own way today Alexis what did you bring our way? <laughs>
1: um, I just want to say for the listeners that it is uh, real aromatic in here <laughs> uh, yes, <it's, laughs> right so we're in a now. large
0: room and uh, <laughs> these are big voices
1: yeah yeah And getting the fumes uh, from these drinks it's uh, it's intense um, I think we should call this episode, um, how lit can Bill and Alexis get yeah, in an I hour? Yeah, I know,
0: I know, <laughs> uh, that, that, yeah, that could be problematic because at some point I may or may not have to work service today. So, um,
1: so I brought um, the Cinco Sentidos uh, Pachuca and um, so Cinco Sentidos is uh, a mezcal and um, it's actually a project um, by some restaurateurs. Uh, a restaurant in Oaxaca City called um, El Destilado. So, for anybody who's listening, uh, definitely go there. They have an amazing tasting menu, uh, one of the best I've ever had, um, and some really interesting pairings too. And
0: um, uh, mostly so, like uh, spear pairings.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's cool. really, really. Cool. Yeah, I think I had some beers. There was some escala, some cocktails. It was very, yeah. very good. Uh, a lot of and all local, um, uh, locally sourced fruits, vegetables, meats, yeah. etc. Um, anywho, uh, so mezcal, so for your listeners who don't know, mezcal is unlike tequila where you can have these, uh, the agave grown on these vast, uh, sort of flatlands. Um, mezcal is, you know, wild harvested different types of agave that are just like hacked out of the ground off of some like high desert (laughs) gnarly situations agave also takes forever to like a decade to mature um and it's really difficult to harvest you have to you know hack off these massive spines think of like an oversized pineapple
0: yeah and actually uh the plant the agave plant uh, people describe as a cactus but it's more closely related botanically to asparagus so that's one interesting yeah
1: um so you you take off these like Really huge Jurassic-looking uh, th- leaves that look like aloe, basically. Yeah. And then you take the pina, and you have to uh, cut that all up The
0: pina is the heart. The heart, uh, the, exactly.
1: The, yeah. That looks it looks very similar to like a, a pine cone or a, a pineapple, really. And then, um, unlike with tequila, where it's steamed. Uh, in order to develop the sugars, it's roasted. So they're going to put all the piñas in and cover them and then roast them for a couple days. And that's where that smoky flavor comes from, and that develops all the kind of caramel qualities that you get. And then that gets mashed often with a grindstone that's pulled by a donkey. It's sweaty, sticky, uh, often manure-scented (laughs) work. Nice.
0: (laughs) Um, All the best things. It
1: is back-breaking labor. And it is often in these very remote areas and the production is tiny, tiny, tiny. And um, that's why you have these companies that will come together. Delmagey is another great example where they will go and say, okay, in this little town, who, who's, who's, uh, who's your guy? Who's, everyone's making their own mezcal, for, you know, but who's, who's the guy that's making the best? And then they'll go see that person and say, do you make enough production that you could sell me X amount? A year, and we'll bottle it for you, label it, and handle all of that kind of infrastructure. Um, and so that's why you get these very distinctive bottlings um, and also why in the U.S. they command a—they don't command as high a price as they probably should, considering the amount of labor and quality that goes into. Yeah, it.
0: And, and given the scarcity of them, and um, the scarce. Uh, now trace trace our journey. So you have um, uh, all of you know these roasted hearts of agave. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it should be said there are you know. 40 to 50 viable uh, different species, uh, and um, the agave itself expresses um, a sense of place. Sure. Um, uh Whether it's grown, you know, lower or higher, um, uh, you know, at not uh, in particular, um, and uh, you know, these roasted, uh, then crushed um, and juiced essentially, mm-hmm. uh, Piñas um, uh, give this juice that is in fermented wild. But uh, the distillation itself, how does that happen?
1: Uh, yeah, so it's usually it's a, a kettle or a clay. Um, we're talking very kind of rudimentary stills here. I mean, often the, the condensation is cooled with, like a, with spring water that's just like kind of ever bubbling up. And um, then uh, the distillation happens, and the, most of these guys and women um, will use this gourd bowl and this sort of pipette-type situation to, and they, they pour it, into the bowl, and the bubbles that form will tell them what the ABV is, and will tell them yeah, when wild. it's done. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, they're like videos
0: online. Yeah, it's um, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, and they're just like intimately familiar. Yeah, um, there's no like with no, the production it's the, per, it's
1: the pearls, and they can see like they're like, yep, yeah, okay, this is done yeah. now. Um, but they're also they're tasting at every at every step. You know, the um, the roasted pina, you can eat it. Um, it's very sweet. Um, So they're they're tasting it, they're tasting the quality of the fruit and what's happening. So they're really intimately involved in every um, step of this. Now, this one goes a step further. Um, Pachuga. whenever you see that on a label, it means that um, there's actually chicken. (laughs) Chicken and a a variety of other spices and fruits that... um, are a part of the distillation process, and so all of those. Which sounds flavors. like
0: a it sounds like a huge gimmick, you know. It, it yeah. sounds like uh, like like a bizarre fireball kind of thing, um. But uh, it has these like connotations of celebration locally, like so. These these are like really distinct, special things that you break out for, you know, like a wedding or you know a birthday or what have you.
1: If if these mezcals are rare. When you find the pechuga in the lineup, it's probably going to be the most rare. Yeah. And I just, um, uh, you could say it's gimmicky, but um, it's in the glass, you know, or it's in your copa. It, it, You can taste it. You can taste all the work that went into it. It's delicious. It's like a little meal in a glass.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's another layer here, because this one incorporates uh, mole on top of it all. Mm-hmm. So, like, it speaks to this local culinary tradition of making these, you know, incredibly complex um, sauces. And there are a million different moles. Um mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I did a I did a deep dive online. This one is uh, a few different types of chiles, chocolate, sesame, uh, almonds, peanuts, rosemary, cumin.
1: I think uh, banana. I really oh, wrong? I got nothing. The I, I,
0: I would take your word for it. I think um, someone could be wrong. Did you visit these folks when you were in uh, no, Oaxaca?
1: I did go to El Desolado, but I was um, very fortunate in December of 2019 to be taken by um, Del Maguey, a small oh, trip down awesome. there. So um, I got to travel around. I got to go to Mex- uh, Oaxaca City, which I highly recommend as well. Um, And yeah, to travel around to all these little villages and to taste with some of the mescaleros. It was, uh, I really, I already loved Mexico, but I really fell in love. I mean, Oaxaca is a huge state for anyone that's not familiar. It's a big, you have Oaxaca city, but then the the state of Oaxaca is quite large. and then you also, I mean, all the way to the coast, which is completely different, like near Puerto Escondido. Um, I'd like to say I highly recommend it, but don't go because I like it too much. Uh, <laughs>
0: you don't want the secret to get out.
1: <laughs> the secret's out. But what I love about it and actually why hopefully it won't get as built up as other places is that, like the rest of Oaxaca, the terrain is really rough. It's yeah. very rocky. It's very steep. It's yeah. hard to get around. Um, so there is this sort of... Um, Self-reliance that has to happen mm-hmm. there, where they um, like have these mountain villages that are very isolated yeah. <laughs> in many ways.
0: And for most of these producers, you know, for most of the mescaleros, it's like a side project. This is not their you yeah. know primary source of income. And no. you know, for everybody, yeah. you buy there's this like really profound effect that can have then on you know the professionalization that they can apply to their craft thereafter.
1: Yeah, I, I, you and I were talking about you know the, they could talk. Are we disturbed or bothered by who's making the money off of these? Um, and a lot of people like Del McGay, or I don't work for these people, by the way, I just <laughs> to throw that out there. I just really believe in what they're doing is yeah. that um, they're saying we're um, providing you a way to make money off this product that you're already making because we have the entry into the market for it. We'll handle the bottling and the labeling and, and all this. And we'll pay you a fair wage and we'll reinvest in community projects. Yeah. Um, so I like to think that they are being handled very ethically because yeah. um, certainly we see a lot of um, exploitation in other spirits markets. Um, I didn't really see any of that.
0: Do you have a sense at all that, you know, there's pressure to scale up, you know, to take something that's, you know, highly artisanal and make it, you know, a little more commercial for the sake of the music yeah. production?
1: I mean, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but, like, uh, I, you'll know it. I mean, what is Del Gay's bread-and-butter product? It's Vita. Yeah.
0: yeah and yeah. at
1: good restaurants, that's going to be in the well, right? Yeah. And that, that is going to be a blend of... Um, it's still not inexpensive. It's not inexpensive. It's at the top end of what you'd put in your well, yeah. for sure. Um but it's, uh, it's a very good product, but they're sourcing from multiple locations yeah. as opposed to like single village.
0: Yeah, and they're ensuring consistency. Exactly. Um, that and, and that
1: they have, and they can bottle product all year long because a lot of these are just like, you know, now Mezcal doesn't have a season for making it. They can make it all year long because we're talking, you know, that's just whenever, so they can make it a couple times a year, but it's still not, you know, they're not doing that many fires. Yeah. And as you said, a lot of these people have other jobs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this isn't their primary source of income. I was irrationally excited to see um, and this was another excuse for a deep dive, and, and I apologize. I'll just bear with me, but um, this is made almost called a Filipino hybrid still. Uh, so they describe this online: clay wood, clay copper, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know to the extent that people think of spirits production, you know they're. Frame of reference maybe is like a, a beautiful Olympic copper still,
1: like a uh, uh, cognac. Yeah,
0: something. yeah, exactly. Or, or you know, if they're more hip to the tune and they're thinking, you know, um, of vodka gin, they're thinking of a larger column still. And this is not that. People These... should
1: be thinking about a lean to. <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. A lean to in the in the what is essentially the uh, high desert with some jungley feeling, <laughs> and some dudes hanging around in the afternoon. Uh, just quietly making this.
0: Game. I like that. I like that thought. <laughs> um, uh, is there music in the background or sometimes? Uh,
1: yeah, there'll be like a little radio with okay. an antenna. Heard. Um,
0: what are we playing?
1: Um, I you know I don't know what the name is of is. It like
0: Bon Jovi or is no, it like or, no, like no. Ranchero yes, or like uh, yes, okay, heard, definitely. Heard.
1: Yeah. Um, it also, should be said that um, most of these uh, guys do not speak or they speak Spanish, but they speak um, native, their, dialects. native dialects. Native yeah, dialects. And yeah. so we did not cheers. Um, and there you would say, um, Stigubeo. <laughs> it feels. It felt wrong to not.
0: Oh no, brilliant. Uh What does that mean? cheers.
1: There's also another way to say it that I forgot. Yeah, that's, that's also not Spanish. It's not Spanish. Exactly.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And people
1: may have picked up on that. Yeah.
0: Well, and and that's <laughs> another you know thing that's worth noting about um, these cultures. So this is this actually is. Um, so the the producer here is uh, Delfino Tobon Mejia. Uh, he's actually in Puebla, in mm-hmm. in San Pablo, and. Um, you know, the, one of the most interesting things about the spirit is uh, I was a, not a very good student, but uh, to the extent that I uh, survived college as a, a Latin American history major. And um, this Filipino hybrid still that uh, uh, um, is used to produce this product um, is exactly that, um, kind of a local adaptation of a Filipino still. So the kind of, for a long time, the kind of mythic story of Mezcal was, you know, joining this. You know Spanish innovation originally Arabic innovation for the sake of the Olympics still that became Spanish because you know a quarter of the Spanish language is essentially derived from Arabic. But um, makes it to the you know uh, colonies makes it to uh, Mexico and they you know apply this local tradition. Um, there's already a local god you know um, for the sake of um, uh, you know kind of agave um, uh, Maya well and um, her husband has actually got a, a pulque which is this really Locally beloved, but but uh, <laughs> divisive, um, essentially like like agave beer. Um, so they're making fermentables, um, but, you know, the evidence is out as to whether um, there was pre-Columbian distillation or not. There are actually a lot of Mexican scholars that are trying to prove as much, but um, for a long time, the local wisdom was that the Spanish innovation, you know, allowed this local growth of, um, of mezcal for the sake of these, you know, kind of relatively primitive Olympic stills. But the the truth um, of this all, which I, I find, you know, much more compelling is actually that um, it was kind of like a backwards, um, uh, you know, kind of arc of history. So the still um, went from Al-Andalus, uh, Andalusia, Spain, um, uh, traced a path to the Philippines um, where they made uh, fermented coconut beverage uh, called tuba and on what were called Manila galleons. There was a lot of interchange between various parts of the, the Spanish empire. Um, these stills found their route to Western Mexico and Colima. Um, and they still make this fermented uh, coconut beverage there today. And uh, the locals adopted this you know, DIY home form of distillation and made it their own. And at the same time, the Spanish authorities were actually um, prohibiting distillation because um, the local distillates competed with the shit they wanted to sell. Um, They were trying to hawk their own European brandy and, Mm -hmm. you know, rum from elsewhere in the empire. And, um, you know, there's an act of subversion um, about Mezcal. And that feels like a much more compelling and appropriate narrative, you know, given the history of these places than a, you know, Spanish gift that is then, you know, deployed. You know, it's like this, you know, insidious you know, interchange between subjugated peoples that gives rise to this thing that expresses place in this really kind of poetic way.
1: Well, and also that, I mean, humans will find a way to get drunk.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. That's just, (laughs) yes, that's that's like like the the Jurassic Park. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, You know, life will find a way, um, yeah, yeah. To get intoxicated. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Yeah. Exactly. Against against all odds. Um, Great. So uh, I followed suit um, for the sake of our exercise here um, with a different kind of uh, spirit that expresses place. And um, mine is uh, clarin. So this is Haitian, Um, so different uh, distillate, um, equally aromatic, (laughs) pungent (laughs) in its its own way, Um, actually uh, um, uh, higher ABV um, than uh, the previous example. Um, uh, This is uh, local rum uh, from Haiti. There are something like 50 commercial uh, rum distilleries throughout the Caribbean region. There are 500, um, you know, kind of micro distilleries um, in Haiti alone. And um, this particular um, product is, um, you know, much like uh, the the Singleton Tito's that we drank, but um, the merchant here is Velier, um, and they have done a lot to bring um, this particular style of Haitian rum to the American market. Um, Like mezcal, you will rarely see mezcal aged. Uh, because it's fucking expensive to have barrels and age something. Um, you know, it's just kind of not consistent with, you know, the local product, you know, that it that it is. Um, and uh, Claren, you know, the unagedness of it is built into the very name um, uh, as a clear beverage. What's really super cool about this is, you know, very much like Mezcal, um, these are artisanal productions. Um, you know, in Mezcal, they have Tahonas and, you know, they have their own version of millstones and their own donkeys or ox, pooling said. Um, Uh, stones, but uh, they are um, trampling sugarcane, which is actually easier to work with in its own way than um, agave because you don't have to go through the extra step of roasting it. The sugar is already readily available uh, for fermentation. What's super cool about this though is because Haiti has such a long history with sugarcane, there are all these local artisanal varietals that don't really exist anywhere else in the world. So um, this is a a spirit from um, the mountainous region of uh, northern Haiti. Um, comes from a, a type of cane called crystalline, um, uh, and it it has mountainy vibes to me uh, in a in a really awesome way. So you know in the wine world we talk a lot about like or I I talk occasionally about you know wines with this like alpine imprint mm-hmm. um, and the sense of you know kind of herbal freshness. And um, I'm not used to talking about spirits that way, but I feel like this this has some of that.
1: It also smells so creamy to me. Mm-hmm. Um.
0: Yeah, there's there's this like lovely richness to it. Yeah. Um texturally, and it's just kind of a fun uh foil for um the pachuga, which, you know, is leaning more into this like savory super savory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this this savory and then, and then you, you all those molly spices emerge. And it's actually, you know, it's so artfully rendered, you know, for the sake of a spirit, it it could be over the top, you know, it could be you know, like an obnoxious Captain Morgan's kind of spiced rum, but with mezcal. But it's it's subtle and, and elegant, but nonetheless, you know, available. Um, the Claren's a little, you know, um, it's sturdier stock, definitely. Um, uh, but, you know, there's a delicacy to it uh, Oh, it's as well. gorgeous. These yeah. are
1: both really elegant beverages, which is it's funny because um, I think these are the kind of things that... Uh, a lay person might be like, oh, God, hell no, because they've had bad experiences with rum product or Mezcal product. Yeah. You know, there's no worm in this Mezcal. No. Um, so there, there is a bit of uh, having to fight a ba- back against, you know, shitty products that were on the market previously. And tequila obviously faces that as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, tequila is kind of like the, industri- the industrial outgrowth of Mezcal. You know, it's, it's the industrialized Mezcal and then, you know, and it technically is a type of, of mezcal, mm-hmm. um, but um, you know the, the artisanal ones are just you know different products all, all together and, and you know these are not things that I would want to mix with. Um, oh no! Um, you know these are these are things that would be kind of debased in the same way that making a rum spritzer uh, or like a wine spritzer out of you know a wine that mm-hmm. deserved to be consumed. You know, um, it's like
1: making a mimosa with champagne.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> although there, honestly, there are some champagnes that deserve that. That's, fate. that's true. <laughs> that's a different discussion. <laughs> it's a different episode. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, at, at any rate, um, uh, so this is kind of a departure for you. Uh, these two yeah. spirits, Alexa, for the sake of you know what you are, are used to. Um, you know, kind of selling at um, uh, Ruffian. Uh, that's a list with an Adriatic uh, influence. Um, or do you do you not describe it that way? That's how I think of it. But, well, uh,
1: so uh, let me. Yes, I, yes, a couple things in there. Uh, yeah, first that was, a, of all, that, was a, that was an awkward segue. <laughs> no, no, I, no. I,
0: I wanted to find the spirit to wine, mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, you know, so confluence. I will say,
1: right off the bat, I'm actually, I'm not a cocktail specialist. I'm yeah. a wine person. Um, at Kindred, we had a full liquor license, but um, we always had a head bartender, Charlotte Mirzoff, who became our um, general manager. She's an extremely talented um, uh, bar manager, developer. She's she's brilliant. So um, the fact that I was exposed to, um, we also, I had your claren at uh, Kindred. Oh, good guess. We had a very extensive, both mezcal and rum selection because we felt that,
0: Wine-like spirits, to my mind. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, there's other reasons that I'll get into in a moment. but So I will say that, first and foremost, I am not actually an expert on these. I just happen to really enjoy Mezcal. Yeah. And having been there, I thought, oh, what a fun thing to kind of... Exactly, what we're talking about like terroir and, you know, it's just a nice departure. Yeah. Um, so Ruffian, for people who don't know, is only a wine bar, does not have a full liquor license, and we never... Uh, I've, never
0: been, I've never been tempted to even, like, drink anything other than wine there. I didn't even realize that. Oh,
1: for a while, we had this bitchin' um, beer program, and then we oh, had to ditch snap. it because it was, like, nobody... Every, people would come in and go, like, yeah, this beer list, how did you get this allocation? But I'm on wine.
0: Like, So We um, tried to make... Um, I got really excited about like beer in seven fifties for a while because they're like cool, like mm. bottle aged, like conditioned things. Cool thing. ciders. Forget yes. It. Yes. Sell them. Uh, yeah. No. Nope. <laughs> people. <laughs> it, people yeah. do have that reaction. Like it's. Uh, it's like the. The Zoolander, like, Sting, I respect the fact that he makes music, you know, but I don't listen to it kind of, uh, kind of journey. <laughs> it was so
1: frustrating, especially because those beers expire, so you'd end up with just a... Some of the kind of
0: bottle stuff, yeah. like, ages, really. Like,
1: but some of it, you know, it's like, and people would read the expiration and be like, never mind.
0: Um, yeah, some the, the like, the smaller ones expire. What's We had this, like, we've had a series of fun moments at the restaurant where you know, after a few years forgotten, we open. Yeah. That, and, and they do age in kind of a fun way. Yeah. Uh, the, the larger format ones that are that are bottle conditioned at least. Too.
1: Yeah. Well, so anyway, so Ruffian is only wine. And Ruffian started off with uh, Patrick and I, it was just like our dream list. We were like, let's if you could make a list and cherry pick all the things. And, and we're not talking burgundy here. We had said right from the beginning, we're not going to have that kind of buying power. It's not where our passion lies.
0: We're in the East Village.
1: We're in the East Village. That's not what we're doing. We're going for... The Diamonds in the Rough, Southwest France, that's what we'll kind of focus. Um, And then just other things (laughs) that we think are awesome. So it was a very eclectic list from the get-go. But what changed so rapidly into now, it's definitely more um, Central and Eastern European focused, is that customers were putting the passion into questioning us like i had this georgian wine what else do you have i already had that one last week and so it was very much market driven by the curiosity of us and our customers said oh if you want more of that we'll seek it out and how often does this happen that you're calling distributors and saying hey, can I taste with you? I mean, usually distributors are breathing down your neck. Yeah. Reps are knocking on your door to get appointments. But we were actually reaching out and being like... But
0: I, I think you end up with a much more compelling list when you operate sure. that way. And and um, I'm fond of saying that, you know, sometimes the you know, wine bar or the restaurant you think you're opening is not necessarily the one you end up with. No,
1: and, and I, I think that that's actually why Ruffian is still open, to be honest, and it's because we were so flexible. Yeah. That restaurant, when we opened, at any point on the trajectory is is not the same at all we have like ducked and weaved through so many different circumstances because you have to be married to your passion but you you can't be so dogmatic that you you can't see the writing on the wall um you know so you know we used to we did happy hour then we stopped doing happy hour and then we'd be like oh we have to have this and then we're like actually we don't need to have that so um
0: it was more kind of throwing a lot of stuff Very at the wall. Very organically
1: yeah. developed.
0: Because um, I had this origin story in mind for the sake of that place. Because the the emphasis now is, is, is so strongly kind of Central Eastern European, <laughs> I imagine that, you know, that was kind of like the original nope, emphasis. not at all. Oh, wow.
1: we, we And also, there just wasn't a lot of it on the market to begin with yeah, back then. Yeah, this yeah. was 2015.
0: And, you know, the, it, that world has changed a lot. A and, lot. And I think, you know, the other exciting thing to me about this wines is that, you know, as... Someone who's trying to offer value and, you know, simultaneously trying to offer things that are responsibly sourced and artisanal, you know, finding wine from emerging regions makes it a lot easier than trafficking in the Burgundy and Bordeaux. You have to
1: do your research. It takes a lot of work. You also have to be honest that just because it's exciting and new doesn't mean it's good. So there is a lot of editing that has to happen. Um, But, man, it's exciting. I mean, I've watched, you know, Greece has just... I mean, Greece obviously has always had good wine, but um, that, the market and what's available, I think, has exploded in the last five years. I mean, I think
0: throughout that corner of the world, you know, not only Greece, but um, the yeah, former just Balkans. As, as an example. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I mean, um, the Georgian wine scene is kind of like the, the Mezcal. And, yes, very um, much. Everyone uh, makes it. Well, yeah. Everybody, everybody <laughs> makes it. It's, it's highly specialized. A lot of it sucks. A lot of You know, um, a lot of it is unprofessional. Um, totally. uh, yeah, and 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 it's it's very lived in too. There's not a you know. Oh, it's um, house
1: juice. I mean, people are just. Yeah. There's nothing. Juice. There's
0: nothing precious about it. And um, you know, the there is still this legacy of you know the Soviet era industrial, you know, um, commercial agriculture and viticulture, and and so you know an older generation is actually you know kind of suspicious of. Bottled wine there because to them bottled wine just equals Soviet shit. Yeah, and the stuff they want to drink is just out of you know, uh demijohn or a, a, plastic a plastic container. A plastic water yeah. bottle. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or you'll
1: get some people that are on the opposite side of that and are like, "Why are you drinking this weird natural stuff?" You know, and they'll take they'll try to force you to go to, to one of those large, sweet wine making yes. places. And you're like, no, I really, really trust me. I don't want that. Yeah. Um, anywho, so when we were back to ruffian. So was open for a couple of years, and we knew that we wanted to open a restaurant. We were like, we have to strike while the iron is hot. Uh, <laughs> little did we know. <laughs> I know,
0: I know. This is, this is where, like, uh, in post-production, we can add, like, a bump, bump, bump. Bum. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then, um, so we opened Kindred, and Kindred, the food was actually what drove the concept, because we knew that we wanted to have handmade pasta, but we didn't want it to be an Italian joint, because you know, New York doesn't really need another Italian restaurant. Um, I I, I go back to passion, but none of our chefs were particularly passionate about, um, well, we had, our original head chef was rooted in Italian, but, you know, we were all like, I don't have a desire for a red sauce joint. You know, that's not Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do. But anyway, to cut to the chase, what really tied it together is like, I had this like forehead slapping moment of like, and, oh, and we knew we wanted to do, obviously, Central European and Eastern European wine, and I had the, the head-slap moment was like, duh, we could do Adriatic. And then that ties together all of the menu and the wine and makes it make sense, and then it gives the chefs and the creative people like a way to, to um, derive creative inspiration when they're making choices. Uh, spirits, for example, came up because Charlotte said, well, there's really not a big spirits history here when I'm building out cocktails. There's,
0: there's like... Um... They do like rocky, and there's a lot of fruit brandy. There's
1: some exactly. There's fruit pear is yeah, a big one, yeah, but yeah. that's not enough to build. Or like maraschino
0: is actually like uh, which uh, we is, also had. Yeah, marasca is awesome. But uh, if you yeah,
1: you cannot build a cocktail
0: around maraschino. Uh, that would be fascinating. <laughs> and actually, like uh, there are a lot of maraschino is a, a very significant ingredient in like early cocktail books too. Like it, it's been Great. Yeah, yeah,
1: and we had them, but. But again, you still need, you know, your other base spirits. Yes, yes. So um, if you want to, if
0: you want to be profitable right. and appeal to a broader audience. Yeah.
1: And um, so Charlotte said, you know, these places are really evoke a sense of vacation for a lot of Americans yeah. and people that will be coming. And um, I'm really passionate about rum, and um, I think that that's kind of a cool thing that we could do here, um, that we specialize in that kind of vacation vibes. Oh, cool. Um, so that's just an aside of where these things came out of. Same with Ms. Cal. Um so then when we cl- we closed, of course, like the whole world did, and then when we reopened, one positive was that we were, after the second round of PPP funding, we were able to be closed, and I was able to really refocus our reopening on not just the Adriatic, but... Um, I dug in more into like this concept of the Venetian Republic at a certain period of time because it helped expand the wine footprint that I could pull from and gave me a lot more variety because these are not static lists. Like these are changing weekly, sometimes daily. And so to keep that replenished, I could have phoned it in and kept most of the wine static, but that's, I have zero interest in doing that. Um, And that
0: opened up, you know, a lot more territory for wine and a lot
1: more just variety because a lot of these regions, you know. Uh, you know, you're going to be dealing with a lot of Malvasia, and that you get a lot of redundancy, and so you're needing to like
0: genetically distinct Malvasia, <laughs> but yeah, 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 true.
1: But a lot of the winemaking is going to be the same.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, did you have a special expertise, you know, for the sake of the Venetian Republic, or nope. did did you just, you know, what is the organizing emphasis for the sake of all these places that I like?
1: Well. Um, I, I've already, I've been to Slovenia. I love it. It's another place. I hate it. Don't go there. Um, <laughs> <no. laughs> uh, it It's funny
0: too. We did a, um, over a pandemic, we had this wine school and it was always kind of, um, not necessarily hit a mess, it was just surprising in a, in a fun mm-hmm. way to see um, which, you know, topics resonated with people. Oh, totally. And Slovenia was one of those. Yep. Like people just like freaked out. Yeah. Like, uh, and you know, there there are wines that I loved and, you know, have come to love a lot more since then because I've actively sought them out but it just it did it it felt like this you know cult favorite that you were just kind of stumbling upon yeah yeah.
1: i've been heavily pushing that in new york oh, yeah yeah. Uh, so i love slovenia i haven't been to croatia but i've been for close to it i've been uh, around the area of um, italy freely and the veneto and um and uh, you and i were in greece together this, this past yeah. summer yeah so um yeah, I already was really fascinated by the region, and I think it's sort of this um, give and take, frankly, with the restaurant itself as a living thing, where I was informing it, and it was informing me, and the food, and it, I, I just, it solidified my passion for um, the region, and that the history was more contiguous than it was separated.
0: Yeah. yeah and
1: yeah. Uh, the more you travel there, the more you can see the vestiges totally. of it. Totally. when I, I could not teach that class, as you did, um, Without talking about the fact that like this whole area was had the same was more this united than it was divided, and um, you can still see it. You can still feel it. You see it in the food, the landscape, um, what they're drinking, the grapes that have migrated, been brought. I mean, uh, it's really cool. So um, yeah, that's 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 where that,
0: um, no, I that came it. Um, from. You know, you talk about a lot of things that are special about that corner of the world? Is there anything that you haven't touched on, you know, that you love about working with that universe of mm. wines.
1: I think it's that, uh... I go back to a, a kind of a Ruffian ethos here. So Patrick and I said, you know, we're not doing weird for the sake of doing weird. We do weird good.
0: Purposefully. Be-
1: because it's, it's, we trust our palette and, um things can have potential or they can just be really delicious and so cool and um what i find in that region is just there's so many grapes that are unknown um they're difficult to work with or the you won't help pronounce not not easily sellable um or you have one guy like nicoluzzo making this like yeah. impossible wines um in these little plots and um I just find that so exciting, and also I'm a sucker for like a story. yeah, I love the history, I love a story. Uh, I love the um the 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 basis for of the words that literally translate into something like you know shitty grape, <laughs> really hard to work with. <laughs> like that's just so cool to me. yeah um, so I think maybe it's just that the the discovery and uh I feel that way about the Republic of Georgia as well, um, and you can ultimately just say, you know, look. It doesn't have to be a quote unquote noble grape to still make something interesting. I am, I'm drinking a lot more table wine than I drink like super fancy bottles. Yeah. You know, they're just like
0: elevated table wines.
1: It doesn't all have to like blow your hair back.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes
1: you just want to drink and be like, oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, and and, it fulfills different purposes, you know, for, for people at different moments in time. Um,
1: yeah, you're not drinking DRC on the beach.
0: No, no. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, drink, I'm not. You're drinking the Corona I'm Light of Wines. Cor- exactly. Yeah, which is, which is you know, history, I'm in, drinking a corona. history in Malvasia. Uh, yeah, or a air. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know I, I love, for the sake of that region, the sense of um, history kind of rediscovered. You know, so you're... You know Venice. I don't think gets the credit deserves for you know the eleven hundred year run that it had. It's a
1: long, really good time. run, to
0: Venice. <laughs> well, and
1: also that um, we think about uh, God. People are people, man. We don't we don't change. And what are thought of as, for example, Venetian dishes? They're Venetian dishes because they were getting spices from far afield. Yeah. But it's not because they're like, oh, we locally sourced this. No. It's like, no, they took some whacked out spices on their trade route and put it on some of the fish that came from their lagoons, you know, and then that suddenly is like, oh, that's a Venetian dish. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was it's, it speaks to the might and power um, and their vast wealth and reach that allowed that to become, quote, unquote, local culture.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, it was a bit of a mixing bowl, too. You know, they were, um, you know, just in digging a little deeper into the You know, Wikipedia profiles and so forth, because you know sometimes I ward away other work and Mm -hmm. just fall down those black holes. I go down the rabbit hole. uh, But you know, um, Venice was equally kind of poised between um, uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, Constantinople, and and the Catholic Church, rooted in Rome, and kind of outside of both, um, and enjoyed you know enough religious autonomy that you know there, you know, could be. You know, a larger Jewish population. You know, there there was you know, um, they actually you know they were at war with the Ottomans, but they also did a lot of business with the Ottomans. I would also,
1: say that their religion was money.
0: Yeah, and yeah, that yeah. Could well, they really
1: were, lubricate totally. a lot of friction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah,
0: exactly. You know, they were they were the you know first global bankers, or some of the first global bankers. Um, and uh, you know, trade was yeah. yeah was just you know the um, the greatest virtue, you know, that they that they had to offer. You know, they had no natural resources. You know, they, they just invented, you know, through, um, you know, convenient, you know, geographical. It was you know, literally conditions. like a
1: swamp, they're like the Boston.
0: Yeah, 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 <laughs> they, they just, you know, they were at this like corner of the trade world, and they leveraged that, you know, the best that they pop like possibly could for as long as they could, essentially, until you know, global ocean-growing trade routes meant the death of the caravans that formerly supplied most of their wealth, so um, I, I don't know, and, and there's always for me like a myopia when it comes to um, you know, that period of history, so you know, the, the empire kind of, it died with Napoleon, um, as a lot of things in history did, um, but you know, so basically they're kind of shuttled off, you know, right as we're entering a modern era um, sure. and, 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 then, and forgotten as such.
1: Sure. And when you, you speak more, I say modern, but you have the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which this whole region was going to fall under... Um, and and to really bring it to modern day, people say, well, how come I don't know Slovenian wines? And I'm like, because Italy had a jumpstart on the marketing and infrastructure.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. You know,
1: it's not because the Slovenians like were some backwater, didn't know how to make wine. It's that they were, you know, really behind the Iron Curtain. Blame Tito. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: there's resentment to this day about the lapse.
0: Well, and Slovenia had it good compared to the rest of the Yugoslav mm-hmm. republics. You know, it's 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 really wild. And I think about that in the context of. Both central and eastern Europe, Europe. When it comes to wine, you know, for most consumers now, it, there's a novelty, you know, attached sure. to these wines. And well, it's
1: because if it didn't happen in my lifetime and I don't remember, well, it doesn't exist. Yeah.
0: and there are layers. There are layers of exoticism, and, and um, you know, Western, you know, certain corners of Western Europe have cornered the market on this prestige product as we consider it, and um, that hasn't historically been the case. Um, no, and,
1: in the same way that you know, like the Tokai.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. It's
1: like human memory is so so Yeah, so and you don't shortened. I
0: mean that's the, that's the other thing like you don't have to go back that many nope. generations to get to a point where, you know, conditions on the ground were utterly different and people's preconceived notions of what constituted, you know, special wine were sure. totally different.
1: Yeah, and um, do you know are you familiar with um the wines of Zaro and Isola? He's a Slovenian producer, young guy. Yeah. No. It took it over from his dad, but it was actually I love his family story because it's um his dad, his grandfather, rather, excuse me, was too poor to migrate or to immigrate anywhere outside of. He had to stay because he didn't have anything. He didn't have any means to leave. Yeah. And so this sort of idea that the legacy is like, oh, and there's deep family, you know, there's wealth and they're doing quite you know, well and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, they were, he was too poor to leave. And yeah. that's why he stayed. And then, you know, his grandfather was alive to see his, his grandson be able to like, I bought a tractor and we own the land now. and I make these wines. And that's really cool.
0: Yeah, and I mean, honestly, the the very conditions that formerly were, you know, poverty-inducing have now become celebrated, uh, you know, for the sake of the ways in which, you know, that, you know, um, you know, prevented them from using the kind of, you know, industrial implements and, you know, Modern chemicals. Yeah. Well, um, well,
1: exactly. It's like that well, we're, that uh, were yeah. moving away from. I'm that. organic because I n- never had anything. We, <laughs> might, never, we could never afford never it. We could never afford it. Well, and,
0: and it should be said that both the spirits we're drinking are organic for yes. the same reason, yeah. um, uh, and artisanal for the same reason, and you know, kind of trace the same arc for the sake of. Yeah. Um, and and they're both ancient. You know, in their I mean, centuries ancient, not not you know thousands of yeah. years ancient. But for the sake of mezcal, you're talking. Um, you know the, the Filipinos make their way there in the sixteenth mid sixteenth century, and you know I imagine it didn't take them long to up those stills and you know continue to make these things. And um, you know the French were distilling in um, in Haiti, um, you know pretty continuously um, uh, under their occupation. But um, once the Haitians cast off their yoke, you know clarin has been a part of the Haitian Republic since its inception, um, and you know that's at least two hundred years. Uh, and, could- and, and we're just kind of now. Waking up to the special message for
1: sure, and I think you can um, call these also areas. Uh, I'd never thought about this as applying to spirits, but I mean they're Goldilocks zones, just like totally. the coast of Selenia, right? It's like we couldn't afford um, pesticides and things like that anyway, but also we didn't need it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. We're,
1: we're, you know, we have this situation where we don't, we don't have to rely. We're not trying to do something that's not like happening naturally. And
0: it's not like growing grapes in the Mid-Atlantic region or vinifer grapes, where you know you really have to force it. You know, these are places where these things just naturally they thrive. Do well. Yeah. So yeah. sugarcane naturally thrives in Haiti. Um, you know,
1: agave is one of the only things that's going <laughs> to <Yeah, yeah>. happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so, um, yeah. There's, there's this. Uh, it's profound that way, though. I think it's like poetic to consider. Like these are things coming from exactly where they should, and you know, um, they demand a little bit of this like hands off, you know, kind of uh, approach. Um, well, hands
1: hands on, hands off. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, man, they are. The labor is. Is uh, uh, I really respect the amount of labor that goes into them, and when you see it, you just go, "Wow, this is doing this day in, day out." I think working in a restaurant's tough.
0: <laughs> no, totally, and, and you know, and uh, you know, we are. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's easy to um, glamorize, you know, the the work that they're they're doing, and then, you know, for the sake of a younger generation that opportunity to do other things, you know, they're booking the first bus to Oaxaca City or Mexico totally. City or you know, right. out of Haiti. Getting um, out of Puebla. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And 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 so, you know, there's always that kind of push-pull, um, uh, you know, for the sake of these, these special products. But I, I hope at the very least that, like, um, a larger global audience for them, you know, serves to reinforce, totally. you know, a, a sense of um, their special status. And, 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 you know, for the sake of that, um, you know, Create some kind of local market for them, and, and, and not local market for them, but you know the kind of market that um, respects the admires brands and wants to kind of perpetuate sure. them.
1: Pride of place. Pride yeah, of exact, exactly,
0: exactly, exactly, and, and and is uplifting for the sake of the people that make them that you know historically haven't had many alternatives.
1: Mm-mm.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, as as previously threatened, a bit of verse uh, for you all here. Um, This is from a really amazing uh, and seminal 20th century Mexican poet uh, named Rosario Castellanos. Um, She was a poet, diplomat, um, one of the most influential voices in Mexico of, um, you know, the last 50 years or so. Um, This is a poem called Charla, uh, which means talk. I'll read it in English, don't worry. Um, Because reality is reducible, ultimately to signs, and is pronounced in only one word. The other smiles and sips from a glass watches the passage of tall midday clouds and feels bothered Bougainvillea, jasmine roses dahlias geraniums flowers of which each petal is speaking a syllable of color and fragrance by garden of inexhaustible language
1: oh that's lovely
0: yeah i, I like the i know I, it spoke to me for the sake of these spirits individually mm-hmm. um you know kind of Kind of talking to us in, in, in a pretty loud voice,
1: Very visceral <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, out of the, out of the glass, um, uh, so it's been such an honor to have you with us, Alexis. Uh, uh, kind of some some final thoughts for you here. Um, we talked at length about some of our favorite emerging regions. Mm-hmm. Um, what is over the horizon for you, what is kind of like the new corner of the world that you find yourself gravitating to and excited about?
1: Ah oh, that's a really great question. Um, yeah, for the listeners who don't know, uh, it was the beverage director of Kindred, so which is now sadly no more. Um, so I am... is a, a
0: pandemic era casualty. Um, it is. There have been a, there many.
1: Yeah. And um, it's sad, especially because uh, a lot of people were saying, you know, we were the example of the ones who had made it. And um, we worked really, really hard to do everything we possibly could and thought we had done it and then... The numbers don't lie and
0: um, yeah and and i think you know the certain the situation on the ground you know for the sake of our line of work remains fraught um yeah that
1: that was my post uh my public post was um we are not out of the woods folks because we hear that constantly like oh it's over and everything's great and it seems busy here and it's like my eggs cost four times as much we're really not out of the woods (laughs) yeah um anywho um,
0: like honestly like i don't even know if it's like the woods i think the woods are just different. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. just, it's just like the whole landscape changed underneath us, and we're kind of coming. We're trying to, you know, it's like we woke up in a different kingdom, totally. and we're trying. The to landscape to, is completely different, yeah, and that's yeah. what I've
1: been saying to people too. Is I can't really put my finger on. I think it's a. It's a sum of several things that have changed. People dine differently. Uh, so people just don't dine out as much as they did before. Uh, the days I just can't even totally. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's it's vari- It's happening. variable
0: regionally. Like uh, yep. it's different in different markets. And, totally. Yeah.
1: So anywho. Um I am still involved at Ruffian, and so that's still exciting, because Ruffian is just such a little flexible worm, and just is constantly changing, we have a new beverage You took
0: over, you took over some space, too, so Ruffian has increased in size. Ruffian has
1: increased in size, so if anyone has ever been there before, it... It was um, like just a bar. It was just a bar, but now we have some beautiful outdoor space, but we also took over, um... uh, A room. A a room, yes, we doubled our space, it's actually exactly the same footprint as Ruffian in reverse, so... um, Uh, Ruffian's going well. We have a new beverage uh, beverage director. Patrick is still there. I taste there, but I try to just not muddy the waters and not, you know, confuse things. Um, so I'm, I'm, uh, consulting. I'm hoping to do a bit of writing. Um, I'm teaching. I'm down here DC with you. I'm trying to just do more on travel now that the world is kind of opening back up. Um, so regionally, I am actually, cont- I continue to be inspired by this whole Venetian Republic yeah. concept. But so you now- find yourself
0: wanting to dive deeper then. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah.
1: But now, because I have been to some parts, it makes it easier to now uh, uh, tighten my focus onto the parts that I don't know as well and be like, okay, well, I need to go inland. I need to go, yeah. you know, hit more islands. I need to, uh, yeah, now that I have some points on the map already, I can kind of triangulate better. Yeah. Uh, and as I told you uh, prior to, to recording, I am consulting for uh, for a French place, which is sort of like wacky time going back. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but really fun also to kind of revisit after uh, so many years. You get to
0: trot out that accent again. <laughs> well, uh, yeah,
1: well, it's just it's fun. it's fun. It's it's kind of wacky. I have my best friends moved to the Loire, so oh amazing. Um, I've been trying to go out quarterly, and now I have this great reason to also.
0: Well, that doesn't suck.
1: It does not suck. So I think I'm just, I think after being locked down and also, frankly, you know, when you're, you're in restaurants, you're really tied to them. And yeah. uh, there is a liberation to that, to be able to, you know, somebody's like, you want to go on this trip? And I'm like, yes, I do.
0: Yeah. I don't have to work service time.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. I, what are you doing in a month? I don't know. Going on this trip. <laughs> yeah. So that, that feels, you know, exciting. I don't have to worry about the hood vent breaking in, on Sunday service or something like that.
0: You've been liberated from the hood vent. (laughs)
1: I've been liberated from the hood vent.
0: Amazing. Well, uh, thank you again uh, for joining us. Uh, if people are you know, interested in seeking out your services or sure. uh, just want to bend your ear, where can they find you, Alexis?
1: Sure. Um, I just redid uh, my website. It's alexispercival.com. Very easy. Oh, cool. And you got your
0: own domain handle. I,
1: I don't. I know. And That's badass. You know what's crazy about that is I also have a website for my artwork that I just always kept active even though yeah. you know, not doing a whole lot of uh, visual arts. But that was apercival.com. And I okay. thought I was going to have to cannibalize that for my wine yeah. work because I know my name wasn't available 15 years ago when I got that and I just put it typed it into like Squarespace or whatever and it was like boop
0: I haven't tried that in a while but I I do know that the most the most famous Bill Jensen online is the avatar of some like Twitch streaming like young blonde kid yeah, yeah, he's like an internet troll. Can you just
1: say that it's like you, you're young blonde? Can't you just be like, it's me, just slightly no, no, older. No, no, it's there, mine. I,
0: th- I thought you were gonna go with the uh, internet, like the internet troll angle, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think just like, is...
1: me. This is identity theft.
0: Yeah, no, I know, no, no. I, I wonder. I sometimes wonder if he is, you know, stumbled upon me in... Uh, oh, I'm sure. Uh, okay. Uh,
1: there's there's not... Alexis Percival is not a very common name, yeah. so I'm actually generally aware of the other ones oh, that have an online presence, because I'm also... I am not on Facebook. I never have had a Facebook account. Okay. Uh, but it's funny when you kind of Google uh, the other... Sorry to the other Alexis Percivals.
0: You're doppelgangers. Yeah.
1: Um, and uh, Instagram, I'm trying to be better about that. Uh, it's at Alexis underscore Percival. So I'm findable... Beautiful. And unlike you, I am trying to post <laughs> content.
0: Uh, I am the, the worst millennial ever. Uh, I, I equally uh, will try to get better. Uh, you can find <laughs> us, uh, hopefully, at Universe in a Glass. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned and stay thirsty for more of the universe. Cheers.